We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Blue Wire. Hey, this is George Kittle, and you're listening to Candlestick Chronicles. New England sending QB Jimmy Garoppolo to 49ers. We believe we found the right guy. Garoppolo, quick pass, caught by Kittle. He dives, and he's in. Touchdown, 49ers. Kittle is going to go. Touchdown. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to another episode of Candlestick Chronicles, the 49ers podcast on the Blue Wire Network. My name is Chris Biederman. I cover the 49ers for the Sacramento Bee. I'm actually riding solo tonight. I'm doing my first ever podcast all on my own. It's a holiday week, obviously. There was a scheduling conflict that came up with Kyle Madsen, our guy over at NinersWire.com, who, wow, dot com, as my voice breaks. Uh, who usually co-hosts this pod with me, but tonight I'm going to ride solo, so it's just going to be me uh, previewing the 49ers' biggest game of the season. Obviously not ideal, but we really appreciate the listeners bearing with us uh, as we go through kind of an odd week here. But um, the 49ers, let's face it, it's the biggest game of the season. It's probably the biggest regular season game in, in quite some time. You could probably go back to uh, 2013 at, at some point during that last time the 49ers made the playoffs in Jim Harbaugh's penultimate season with the 49ers. So uh, it's about as big of a regular season game as you can have. You have the number one seed on the line. You have home field advantage on the line. You have a first round bye on the line, which I think personally is the 49ers uh, most important asset that they could get with a victory at CenturyLink Field because of how banged up they are. You have D Ford nursing a hamstring injury. We've obviously seen the issues with the pass rush since D Ford has gone down. The 49ers have three sacks in their last four games after they averaged four in, per game in their previous 11. 
uh, when D Ford was mostly in the lineup. He adds a different dynamic. I know he hasn't played a whole lot this season because he's dealt with tendonitis in his knee stemming back to training camp, uh, but he is a very important part of their pass rush, and I think we've learned that as time has gone on, particularly now that teams are starting to try to get rid of the ball a little bit sooner on the 49ers. We thought we saw the Saints do that a couple weeks ago in New Orleans and that really explosive performance from Drew Brees. Uh, we saw the Falcons do it. We saw the Rams to a lesser extent. They were doing more boot action type things, getting Jared Goff on the run outside of the pocket, put the, put the 49ers defense in motion uh, to set the passing game up down the field. But uh, so point being, I mean, with Richard Sherman, too, also a couple weeks removed from a hamstring injury, uh, Julian Taylor is, is going to be back this week, most likely, of Jaquaski Tart dealing with rib injuries, a fractured rib, I should say, and, and he returned to practice this week, which is an encouraging sign. We don't know if he's going to play. Uh, it could ultimately come down to how much pain he can play through. The point being, I think more so than home field advantage, and obviously the 49ers will say they want to play in front of their home crowd. They don't want to have to get on a plane and, and travel. Um, I, I just think the more important aspect of getting the top overall seed is that first round buy. And it's been mentioned here and many other places. The 49ers, or actually, not the 49ers, the last six Super Bowl winners have all had first round buys. You have to go back to the 2012 season when the Baltimore Ravens beat the 49ers in the Super Bowl to become the, the they, or they were the last Super Bowl winners to play during wildcard weekend. And that was obviously a long time ago. So you can't really understate the importance of this game. It is week 17. Uh, it won't determine you know, whether or not the 49ers make the playoffs. Obviously, they've already clinched that. But winning the division for the first time since 2012 is a big deal. You'll remember in 2013, the 49ers had to go on the road the last time they were in the playoffs, and it proved to be extremely difficult. They started out with that frozen game in Green Bay where they kicked a last-second field goal to beat the Packers and maybe got a little bit lucky because Colin Kaepernick could have gotten picked off uh, on that final drive to win the game. Um, and then you have the next week in Carolina, the 49ers win a hard-fought game in the divisional round against Cam Newton and the Panthers. And of course, Colin Kaepernick had his touchdown run and famously did the celebration where he was buttoning up the shirt, paying homage to uh, to Cam Newton and his Superman celebration. And then the 49ers had to go to Seattle and play the NFC title game. And I think a lot of people would have considered the 49ers a better team than Seattle. But uh, the fact that Seattle had the home field advantage proved to be really important in that game. A, a ton of things happened. Um, including some controversial uh, refereeing. You remember there were some conspiracy videos floating around. Anyway, point being, um, you want if you're the 49ers, you obviously want the number one seed. I, I don't think uh, I, I don't think that's too wild a point to make, and and that that is what is at stake on Saturday night. So win, and the 49ers are the number one seed. Lose, and they're the fifth seed, and they'll have to play the NFC East winner, which is. Most likely going to be the Philadelphia Eagles after beating the Cowboys last weekend if the Eagles take care of business on the road at the New York Giants, which uh, wouldn't be completely crazy if they dropped that game. If you watch the Eagles at all this year, they've really struggled offensively at various points. They've been banged up all year. They haven't looked like the Super Bowl contender that some people thought they would be. Um, but they did beat Dallas in a really important game last week. 
And so if they handle business against the Giants, they will win the NFC East. If they don't and the Cowboys end up beating Washington, which probably should happen given how talented the Cowboys are uh, and how downtrodden Washington has been, although they've been a little bit friskier in the second half of the season here, it, it, it would be Dallas in the first round of the playoffs should the 49ers lose to Seattle. So there are uh, still some permutations to get figured out over this final week in the season. I think it's pretty simple for the 49ers, though, that they want to win and be the number one seed in the NFC. Obviously, that's that's a pretty big deal and, and about as big of a game as you can have in Week 17 between two contending teams and an MVP candidate in Russell Wilson. A couple notes going into the game. Marshawn Lynch, Robert Turbin, obviously back for Seattle. We talked a little bit about it with Kyle earlier in the week. I find it fascinating because I have no idea what to expect from Marshawn Lynch. He's somebody who has not played since 2018. He is going to provide a huge energy boost to that building. I imagine if there's any sort of run that he has early in the game where he breaks tackles and gets a first down or or even scores a touchdown, CenturyLink Field is going to go completely bananas, and that could be a pretty big deal in the game and, and provide a pretty emotional boost. On the other hand, this is a guy who hasn't played since 2018. He had a groin injury. Uh, he rushed for 376 yards and three touchdowns in six games in 2018 while a member of the Oakland Raiders before having his unofficial retirement. Uh, now he's back. Robert Turbin was also signed by Seattle this week after Chris Carson went down, after CJ Procise went down. Um, both those guys are not expected to play for the remainder of the season. Turbin hasn't played since appearing with the Colts in October of 2018. And he is not somebody who has been productive uh, anytime recently. You have to go back to, uh, I guess, 2015 as a member of the Dallas Cowboys when he appeared in seven games. The last time he averaged over four yards a carry. In 2016, he scored seven touchdowns with Indianapolis, but he averaged just 3.5 yards a carry. These last two seasons, 2017 and 2018 with, Indiana with Indianapolis, uh, he played in eight games. And he averaged fewer than three point or sorry, he averaged 2.3 and 2.5 yards per carry, respectively. Robert Turbin, not somebody who uh, is is one to light up the stat sheet, particularly lately. So it's probably going to be Travis Homer. A I think he's a rookie sixth round pick who is now Seattle's lead running back unless Marshawn Lynch somehow pulls out a heroic effort, which I'm not ruling out because Marshawn Lynch is the type of athlete that is probably an outlier. So um, it'll be fascinating to see if Marshawn Lynch can get, you know, 15 carries, if he's a difference maker in the game, or if behind that, you know, offensive line that's really banged up, that's most likely to be missing its starting left tackle in Dwayne Brown, um, and a line that hasn't really been good in recent history, um, can they do enough on the ground against the 49ers good defensive front that might be struggling against the run a little bit here in the second half of the season. But um, the 49ers defensive front is still very, very good. And I would expect uh, it be to, it to be really difficult for Seattle to open up holes on that 49ers defense. Um, so we'll have to see. So let's get to the matchups we want to watch Sunday in Seattle uh, I'm going to start with Russell Wilson versus the 49ers pass rush. Wilson, obviously an MVP candidate, somebody who does a significant portion of his damage 
outside of structure. And basically what that means is it's not always, you know, five-step drops, hit the top of your drop, and fire the ball out. Russell Wilson does a lot of dancing around. It's a lot of backyard football. It's a lot of things where he's making defenders miss, hucking the ball deep, and uh, his receivers come down with it. And the Seahawks have fully embraced that scheme. Or, or the, the, sorry, they've embraced that skill set within their scheme. They allow Russell Wilson to move around the pocket. They get receivers who are good at freelancing down the field, which can be really problematic because it's difficult to prepare for. You can be really good schematically and really sound and know exactly what to look for when the Seahawks are lined up in certain formations. Uh, but when they're just playing backyard football and freelancing, it's much more difficult to prepare for, and you just have to work off instincts. So that'll be really interesting to see how the 49ers react to that dynamic. Um, Russell Wilson started his first six games. He had passer ratings of well over 100. Um, then they played the Ravens, obviously one of the best teams, if not the best team in the league. Wilson's passer rating was 65.2 in that loss. Two more games for Russell Wilson with passer ratings above 130, and then in one, two, three, four, five of his last six games, he's been below 100 in terms of passer rating. So all that steam that, that Wilson built up early on in the year uh, in terms of his MVP candidacy has, has been sliding a little bit. And he's coming off a pretty bad game against the Arizona Cardinals. And, and no, it wasn't a win that the Seahawks needed to have. But completing 16 of 31, which is just under 52% for 169 yards and a score while taking five sacks, averaging 5.45 yards per attempt, which is just miserable. Um, the 49ers are getting Russell Wilson coming off arguably his worst game of the year. And so you look at, you know, how the 49ers defense has been playing lately, uh, allowing the Falcons to drive the length of the field and, and win the game late, allowing uh, the, the Baltimore Ravens earlier this month to do the same thing, to kick a game-winning field goal as time expired against Lamar Jackson in the rain in that running game and, and Baltimore's offensive line, which is probably the best in the league. And then the next week in New Orleans, the defense allowing 516 yards to the Saints and then 334 total yards to the Rams. It wasn't a terrible performance by the 49ers but allowing 31 points I mean look you you go down the list the 49ers didn't allow over 20 points their first six games seven games of the season then you allow 25 in Arizona on a short week you have the overtime game against Seattle where 21 of their 27 points was scored off directly off 49ers turnovers uh, and then against Arizona again you allow 26 points you hold the Packers to eight points, which I still think is is more uh, emblematic of where these 49ers are defensively still. I know they've struggled recently, but I think it's sort of the dog days of the season for them and the competition has picked up. Attrition has been an issue. Um, the point being that I wanted to make is that I, I'm, I'm fascinated to see how the 49ers respond to the moment to Russell Wilson, who is going to do everything he can behind a banged up offensive line with a uh, running game that has to be a serious question mark right now. And Tyler Lockett, who's been dealing with injuries. You have DK Metcalf, who's been one of the most productive rookie receivers in the entire NFL, who's a matchup problem for the 49ers, at least when he's not matched up against Richard Sherman. Um, he he proved to be really problematic for Emmanuel Mosley in that November game while Akella Witherspoon was still out. 
Um, Witherspoon is likely to be back. He has not been particularly good recently, but I do think he's in for a bounce back game. And, and uh, the 49ers are certainly hoping that's the case. Kyle Shanahan said this week, Witherspoon is not going to get benched. Um, or at least he's still the starting uh, corner right now on, on the right side of the defense. So we'll have to see how that goes. Uh, versus the pass rush for Russell Wilson. I mean, Nick Bosa played just 51 snaps last week against the Rams. And it's also worth pointing out that the 49ers have an extra day to prepare for this game, playing on a Saturday. Uh, they'll they'll have seven days in between games instead of, instead of the usual six. So Nick Bosa played 51 snaps, which is his fewest since Halloween, which is pretty remarkable considering how often he'd been on the field in recent games. And if you watch that Rams game Saturday night, you notice that Nick Bosa's right ankle, the same ankle that he sprained early in training camp that he wore tape on early in the season, um, it was back to having a tape job on it. So Nick Bosa, the previous three games, he played 55 snaps against Baltimore. That was 85%. He played 94% of the snaps against the Saints, which was 68 snaps, his season high. Uh, then 63 snaps against Atlanta, also 94%. He was down to 51 snaps against the Rams, which was 73% as the 49ers tried to incorporate much more of a rotation gearing up for the Seahawks game. So I'm not sure how much the 49ers are are were doing that in order to maximize Bosa's potential production for this game. But going against a backup tackle with Dwayne Brown out, and Bosa maybe being more fresh now going into this game than he has in the past few, that could be significant for the 49ers. And and Bosa, obviously his durability was a question mark coming into the year, but he's he's started every he's played in every game this season. He's been uh, asked to do a lot late in his rookie year, and and he is just like he's a really really supremely finely tuned athlete. Like he's the guy who probably works on his body more than anybody else on the roster, just in terms of weightlifting, conditioning, uh, getting treatment, cold tub, pool stuff, uh, massages, all of those things. Like Nick Bosa is is a physical freak, and I think that contributes to why he's been so durable, and the 49ers will, will always contend that that ankle issue he had early on in training camp was was a freak thing where an offensive lineman just sort of fell on him during a running play. Um, but Bosa is fresh having played 51 snaps uh, last week. I, I think he's fresh. So um, Julian Taylor defensive tackle returned to practice actually last week before the Rams game, but uh, did not play. I think he missed his third straight game after dealing with a, with an elbow injury against the Baltimore Ravens. His return could be pretty significant because the 49ers have been without uh, DJ Jones, their, their nose tackle who was having a really strong season who went on injured reserve with an ankle sprain. The problem with that injury is it was compounded by the fact that Taylor's been out. So you get Taylor back, and now you're starting to see the pieces of the 49ers offensive line get back to where uh, the coaching staff had initially planned them to be. So you don't have to have Solomon Thomas playing nose tackle in, in base situations. You don't have to rely on Sheldon Day to play. I think he played something like 64% of the snaps last week, which is probably far too many for somebody like Sheldon Day. So Julian Taylor, even if he just gives you 20 snaps in base uh, as a run defender, that, that allows you to utilize the other guys the way you had planned to utilize them instead of having to to mix and match that gap on the inside that you had with DJ Jones out. So um, 
Russell Wilson, he's been sacked on 9% of his dropbacks and that's near the bottom of the that's near the bottom of the league. The 49ers, like I said, have just 3 sacks in their last 4 games. Wilson's going to be running around a lot. I think that's going to be a fascinating matchup to watch. I'd expect the 49ers to dominate the trenches because they have so much talent along that defensive front and Seattle's offensive line even when healthy is suspect, but being without their best defensive offensive lineman in Dwayne Brown is potentially really problematic for them. So that's that's a matchup to keep an eye on for Sunday. Um, how about the 49ers defensive front versus the Seahawks run game? We talked a little bit about it early on in this pod. The Seahawks run the ball 46% of the time, which is the fifth highest rate in the league. Travis Homer, like we mentioned, probably going to get the majority of the playing time at running back. Uh, let me pull up Travis Homer's page. I gotta, I gotta admit, I have like 20 pages open right now, um, on my computer. Travis Homer, Travis Homer, sixth round pick in the 2019 draft. He went to the U, 5'10", 202 pounds, so not a big guy. Uh, he had five carries for 16 yards last week against Arizona, against Carolina. The game before that, two carries, seven yards. Uh, he did have one carry for 29 yards in the Monday night victory, December 2nd, uh, over the Minnesota Vikings. So you want to talk about Travis Homer's career so far in the NFL. Uh, he's appeared in 15 games. He's got carries in three of them. He has eight rushes for 52 yards. Uh, he's, he is averaging six and a half yards per attempt because he did have that 129 yard run against Minnesota. But, um, I can't imagine the 49ers are looking at Travis Homer and and really being worried about it. Uh, I I think, you know, like I said, this Marshawn Lynch thing is 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 an enormous wild card. And I think being around some of the players this week and talking to them, I don't know that that they're particularly worried about Marshawn Lynch as somebody who is going to carry the ball 25 times and continue to. Um, continue to punish them late in the game. And it wouldn't surprise me at all if Marshawn Lynch comes out, has a few big runs in the first quarter, gets hit a few times, and then in, in during the stretch of the game in the third and early in the fourth quarter, you start to see him be rendered ineffective because of just not being in shape, just not taking the hits that you take that harden you throughout, throughout the season. Um, I, I do think, like I said, Marshawn Lynch is just a completely different animal and he's wired completely differently and you don't know exactly what to expect from him in this scenario. And I, I don't think the Seahawks would have brought him in if they thought that he would be good just for 10 carries and maybe, you know, 30, 40 yards or whatever. Um, he's going to provide them some sort of emotional lift, whether that lift turns into, um, you know, transitions to the production in terms of yardage and first downs and touchdowns that is a gigantic question mark we don't know how fast he is we know he's not easy to tackle but um you know we'll have to see behind that patchwork offensive line that seattle is rolling with right now we will just have to see we already mentioned robert turbin really hasn't been effective in quite some time i would be shocked if given the fact that he hasn't played in a game this year just like marshawn if he were to come out and be really productive i i would i would be very very surprised but i i think you know, the idea of the 49ers just kind of looking past the uh, maybe I, I, I put it this way. I'm not expecting the 49ers to underestimate Seattle this week. I think 
when anytime you play in Seattle, a place the team hasn't won since 2011, with the fans being as loud as they're going to be, with it being the last regular season game of the season, with the entire football world watching this game, wanting to see how legitimate the 49ers really are, if if they didn't believe it uh, to this point, if they didn't think the 49ers could go win in Seattle someplace, it's traditionally been a house of horrors, particularly throughout this entire decade. Um, I think the 49ers are going to use all of that as fuel and obviously needing the first round by, like we mentioned, that's going to be a really big deal. So um, I don't think getting up for this game is going to be a problem for the 49ers, even though uh, human nature might suggest that they could take the Seahawks a little bit lightly, given how many injuries they have, given the fact that, um, you know, they're going to be without Quandre Diggs, their, their free safety, who's uh, was pretty good and, and had an interception against the 49ers in that November game. Um, given the fact they'll be without Dwayne Brown and and basically their entire running back stable. Um, you know, human nature might suggest the 49ers would take them a little bit lightly, but I think just given the stakes here, that's not going to be the case. So how about our next matchup? The 49ers running game versus the Seahawks defensive front. So Throughout the season, the Seahawks are allowing 4.8 yards per carry. That's 28th in the league. The 117 yards per game allowed is 24th in the league. And the 49ers throughout the year have been one of the best rushing teams in the league. Maybe the most, maybe the best uh, traditional running team in the league. Like, I think the, the Baltimore Ravens are an outlier. They're obviously the most productive rushing team in the league in part because they have Lamar Jackson, who's not only one of the most dynamic quarterbacks in the league, but he's also one of the most dynamic ball carriers in the league. And somebody who is going to set the, uh, has he said it already? I think he might've, I, I, I should know this, forgive me, but he's either already set the rushing, the single season rushing record for quarterbacks, or he's on pace to, um, well, actually, well, he's not playing this week. So, um, I should look that up, but I'm not going to because that's not important to this podcast. Point being, the 49ers are one of the be- better running teams in the league, and they haven't had that signature explosive running game in quite some time. And it could be that the weather ends up being a factor in Seattle as I look it up. Um, there's a chance, a pretty strong chance, that it rains this weekend. If it rains, that could make the 49ers less likely to be super reliant on the pass. So let me look at this 10-day forecast and see what weather.com says. So Saturday, uh, p.m. showers, 60%. Well, the game's going to be played in the p.m., so we might see some showers. Uh, So the 49ers are probably going to have to run the ball. And you look at the season that they've had on the ground it's been really fascinating because there have been certain games where Tevin Coleman is the 49ers lead running back and he had spells of being super productive particularly against Carolina in that game where I think he had four touchdowns in in late October but Coleman has not been particularly effective lately lately it's been Raheem Mostert who has five rushing touchdowns in the last five games and he's averaging over six yards per attempt in those five games. What about Matt Breida? No carries last week, no offensive snaps. Kyle Shanahan said that that was not on purpose. It was because the team was struggling to get first downs, particularly in the second half, and they didn't substitute Breida in. If they they had had longer drives, 
Brita would have been subbed in for either Tevin Coleman or Raheem Mostert at various por- at various portions of the game. I don't know that I'm not accusing Kyle Shanahan of lying. Um, what I will say is I don't think it was accidental that ahead of the biggest game of the year, the 49ers wanted to ensure that one of their running backs would be at 100% health. Um, and so by not giving Matt Breida any snaps on offense and not giving him any carries, obviously, that ensures that your fastest, maybe your most dynamic overall running back at the moment, and that's not to take anything away from Raheem Mostert, I just think that we've seen it over longer stretches from Matt Breida since he's come into the league that we might be due for a Matt Breida game. And it might be that he just pops, you know, one or two or three runs. Just if, if, if Matt Breida pops just a handful of runs, that will do a lot for what the 49ers want to do on offense, right? Because we've, we've talked about it all the time. The 49ers offense is predicated on outside zone running, um, they want to have big personnel on the field. They want to have Kyle Juszczyk, their fullback in the game, uh, throwing blocks with George Kittle, one of the best blocking, if not the best blocking tight ends in the league. And if you do that effectively on outside zone running plays, not only does it strain the defense because they have to work really hard to defend those plays and get smacked in the face by Juszczyk and Kittle um, and the 49ers talented tackles who are also really good at blocking in, in that scheme. Um, then when you throw play action into the mix, it, it becomes really difficult to defend the 49ers. And so, um, I know there's, there's a segment of, of analytics people who think running the ball effectively, uh, doesn't impact the effectiveness of play action. I would disagree because I think if you talk to defensive players and, and ask them, you know, have conversations with them about the impact of a team running the ball well and how, how that impacts the way, defense's approach defending the run which in turn is impacted by play action they will tell you that it is very difficult to defend play action when a team is running the ball well and I don't think that's that's a crazy take I just I just push back a little bit on the idea that um, you don't need to run the ball effectively to to utilize play action I think there I think it can be a a very valuable part of what you do offensively so anyway uh, tangent aside Matt Breida could be in for a a big game, at least from a from a workload perspective, because it hasn't been there recently, including on Saturday against the Rams when he got zero touches. So Matt Breida hasn't really had a, a signature game yet this year. I mean, he, against Cincinnati, he had 121 yards, um, and he obviously had that Barry Sanders-like third-down conversion run early in that game. Uh, he had 114 yards against Cleveland. I want to say, what, 83 of them came on that first run? Um, I'm not sure if that's right. He scored two touchdowns in that game. His only two touchdowns of the year, actually, let me see. No, my mistake. Uh, I'm all over the place. I'm looking at touchdowns. Anyway, uh, Matt Breida, he has two touchdowns this season. Yeah, I think his only two touchdowns of the year came in that Cleveland game. Anyway. Um, he had 114 yards in that game, 121 yards against Cincinnati. Since then, it's it hasn't been a a super productive season for Matt Breida. You're looking at 36 yards, 35, 35, 78, 18, 54, 11, and zero. It wouldn't surprise me at all if if Matt Breida is sort of the ace in the hole that the 49ers have been wanting to utilize and and maybe saved him for, and maybe. 
the fact that he fumbled twice against the Falcons and that he had been dealing with an ankle injury previously was the reason why he didn't get any carries. Maybe the 49ers didn't trust him after fumbling twice, I think, in a three-play span in that Falcons game. Uh, maybe that was the reason why. But I, I, I tend to think the 49ers still remain very confident in Matt Breida and that it was at least somewhat in their minds that they wanted to ensure that one of their running backs would be completely healthy going into this Seahawks game because unlike Seattle, uh, who have basically no healthy running backs aside from the two guys they just picked up off the street and the rookie six-round pick who is whatever, five carries, eight carries a season, um, the 49ers do want their running game to be super effective and they want their running backs to be healthy. And it looks like Coleman, Mostert, and Brita are all going to be healthy and good to go. So are the Seahawks going to be able to defend the running game? We'll just have to wait and see. I lean towards no because they haven't been particularly good at it all year. And maybe if they are, then that sets things up for the next matchup that we are going to talk about, which is Jimmy Garoppolo against the Elements, against the Seahawks defense, like we mentioned. It might be raining. Um, will Garoppolo be locked in like he was against the Saints? And you go back and watch that Saints game. Obviously, Garoppolo's signature moment, probably of his career to this point, just going in, beating Drew Brees, having, uh, pulling up his stat line, completing 74% of his passes. That was his second, third best rate of the year. Uh, maybe fourth best, actually. Four touchdown passes, tying a career high. 131.7 rating, um, 349 yards, just unflappable, really. I mean, you you consider the atmosphere, the noise. Um, the, it's not like the Saints defense is bad. Um, Kyle Shanahan completely opening up the playbook, showing how much he trusted Garoppolo in that moment, um, I think was interesting and notable. So is that going to be the version of Jimmy Garoppolo that we get? Or the version who didn't look nearly as good these last two weeks, save for maybe the fourth quarter against the Rams. Uh, he threw for just 200 yards against the Falcons. He threw for just 248 with two interceptions against the Rams. Um, he did have the miraculous third and 16 conversions on the final drive that led to the game-winning field goal. Uh, so he was good when it mattered, and and I want to say he had almost half of his total yardage in that entire game in the fourth quarter there. So Jimmy Garoppolo has been pretty clutch. Um, I think he has. I need to pull up the uh, the leaders for this season real quick. Passing stats. Okay, fourth quarter comebacks. Uh, Jimmy Garoppolo is tied for the NFL lead with four fourth-quarter comebacks. Uh, Game-winning drives, he also has four. That's the second most in the league. So, obviously, uh, the all of these things sort of happen in a vacuum, and, and fourth-quarter comebacks aren't necessarily indicative of whether or not a quarterback is clutch, at least in, in a one-season sample. But you can say that Jimmy Garoppolo has been clutch when the 49ers have needed him to be clutch. Here's something that I find interesting. And I was I was looking this up before hopping on this pod to record it. Jimmy Garoppolo's home and road splits. So Jimmy Garoppolo at Levi's Stadium has thrown 14 touchdowns, 8 picks. 
uh, in eight games. That's a 96 rating. He's been sacked 23 times in eight games, 7.87 yards per attempt, which is, I guess, a little bit above average. Um, 7.55 adjusted yards per attempt, which factors in sacks and interceptions. So on the road, Jimmy Garoppolo, his completion percentage is up from 67 to 70.3 or 70.4% um, on the road. He's thrown 13 touchdowns in seven games, five interceptions. His passer rating, which is 96 at home, is 107.3 on the road. Uh, he's Like I said, he's taken 23 sacks in eight games at home. He's taken 11 sacks in seven games on the road. He's averaging... 8.48 yards per attempt on the road, up from 7.87 at home. And adjusted yards per attempt, which factors in sacks and interception, interceptions, is over a yard better. From 7.55 adjusted yards per attempt to 8.65 on the road. So, Jimmy Garoppolo is indisputably better on the road than he is at Levi's Stadium, which I find interesting. Um because actually I don't know why I have no idea what the reasoning would be for that for whatever reason Garoppolo is statistically better on the road and and maybe the Saints game goes a long way towards skewing those numbers you look at the two the 49ers two games where they've had 500 yards of offense both of those games have come on the road going back to Cincinnati um, in week two where Garoppolo uh, had three touchdown passes, 296 yards, completed 17 to 25. That's obviously going to boost your total uh, for the season. And then you look at that New Orleans game where he had 349 yards, four touchdown passes. Uh, even in Baltimore, he completed 71% of his throws, didn't throw a pick. Um, so for whatever reason, Garoppolo has been better on the road. So is that going to translate in the biggest game of the year, in what is likely to be the toughest environment that he's faced. Um, because one of the benefits, as loud as it was in New Orleans, and, and how um, good of an opponent the Saints are, and how much pressure the Saints offense put on the 49ers to score in that game, really from the jump, um, that, that, that's, a, that's a dome. <laughs> there are no elements inside the dome. There's no wind altering your passes. There's no... Uh, there are no slick balls because of rain. There's, um, you know, the, there's, there's no issue of keeping your hands warm. There's, you know, that all of those things could factor into what happened Sunday night in Seattle, which is different than on the road in New Orleans or even that Tampa Gate, Tampa Bay. Sorry, that Cincinnati game week two where Garoppolo was super effective. Um, it was warm that day, but there was, you know, the weather was not an issue, particularly, you know, for the quarterback in, in that one. So. The elements are going to be a problem. And is are Jimmy Garoppolo's successes that he's had on the road going to are, are they going to translate to Sunday night in Seattle? So I think it's fascinating that throughout this season at least, Garoppolo has been uh he's had his best games on the road. And uh and I find that just a fascinating element to what uh what is going to happen in this game. So Somehow, I rambled on about this game on my own for, we're going on 38 minutes now. So I am going to call it. Um, I want to thank you guys if you've made it this far listening to my monotone voice. Uh, I'm usually a uh, an introverted person. I'm not a person who generally talks a whole lot. So 
sitting in my room and, and, and talking into a microphone for nearly 40 minutes now is certainly a new experience. I really appreciate you guys sticking through. Uh, Kyle Madsen will be back with me next week, obviously, and we will have plenty to talk about because the 49ers will have either earned a first round bye in the number one overall seed, or they will be playing on a short, I guess, I don't know if it would be a short week. There's a chance they could play Saturday in the wildcard round if they lose. Uh, I'm sure they would not be thrilled with that, given the fact that they got flexed to Sunday night this week. Maybe that doesn't happen. Maybe the league will throw them a bone if they do have to travel to either Dallas or Philadelphia, particularly Philadelphia. Um, But either way, we're going to have a lot to chat about next week. Thank you guys for bearing with me. Please subscribe, rate, and review wherever you listen to Candlestick Chronicles or any other podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. I will talk to you guys next week. For the ones who work hard to ensure their crew can always go the extra mile. And the ones who get in early so everyone can go home on time. There's Granger, Offering professional-grade supplies backed by product experts so you can quickly and easily find what you need. Plus, you can count on access to a committed team ready to go the extra mile for you. Call, clickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, For the ones who get it done.